Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the latest episode of the Red Men Weekly Podcast. Hope all is well wherever you are. I'm Steve Hall, bringing you the best clips from our Red Men Plus content from the previous week. Hope, like I say, let you guys know, like I always do. These shows are available in full over on redmenplus.com. You can get them in video or podcast form over there. So yeah, if you want to get more Liverpool content in your lives and if you want to help support the stuff that we do here at Redmen, yeah, go please check out redmenplus.com and see if it is for you. Right then, let's start. The first clip from this week's show is the Biased Football Podcast. You've got Paul and the gang having a good old chat about some non-Liverpool things. And yeah, this one was actually a really, really funny one. Check it out. Anyway, speaking of teams that should be winning games that you expect them to, um, oh. but don't... <laughs> uh, <laughs> Chelsea Football Club, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, I'm just going to read a uh, a little quote for you um, oh. from Maurizio Pochettino, who said, uh, "We are not the Chelsea that won the Champions League or Premier League. Mm-hmm. Tuchel arrived in a project that was already built. We need to accept that it's a project for the future." Yeah, you don't know your fan base, do you? <laughs> Do you know who you're managing, Maurizio Pochettino? Right. I can't say anything else, but lads, if this keeps going on for the next month, then you're gone. (laughs) Like, you don't get time here. That's just that simple. Um, And also, it doesn't help when your owner's gone and spent a billion quid, because a billion quid, and if you read out the squad that played the other day, I could name you about five players who I actually know of. That's not a billion worth of players. Uh, It shouldn't be anyway, because no one should be worth that amount of money. Um, But it should be much better than that. I don't understand this philosophy. I don't know what he's trying to do at this moment in time, because whatever he's doing, it's not working. Um... And yeah, they are literally stuck in a rut and I'm absolutely living for it. But if he thinks he's getting time, uh, you were in the Premier League. And like you should and know. He, he's not... He's not wrong to say the things that he's saying because they have got a young squad. Yeah. That was their strategy, was to buy young, put them on long contracts mm-hmm. and obviously try and build something sustainable, throw loads of money at it, but not be, they don't want to continue to spend loads and loads of money because eventually FFP will just come and bite them in the arse. There's no way. There's only so many ways you can kick that down the road. Um you know, you know, unless they can continue to sell players onto the Saudi League, yeah. you know, like no questions asked. But 
as, as just a footballing project and taking aside you know all the all the dodgy kind of dealings behind the scenes Pochettino's not wrong you know he's come in and he's being asked to to, to shape this this side and this squad good manager as well yeah. I think he could create something really good yeah. but you will not be given the time it's such an ill-fitting job for him yeah. that it never made any sense and Chloe's right it's, to, for the, the, it's an ill-fitting project for Chelsea Football Club yes. to try and decide that Chelsea now want to do this as a project well it's fascinating because Chelsea fans have obviously become accustomed to the Abramovich way of working which is very much if it doesn't go right for a short period of time out the door you go even if it does go right in some instances out the door you go because he just had that mentality he was very cutthroat in that and he just got rid of managers willy nilly the turnover was ridiculous at times so they've gone you don't know what it looks like now under the Bowley administration what we do know is he spends a hell of a lot of money so you'd like you'd imagine he'd want things to be going better on the pitch than they are right now there's no two ways about that but from the fan base are they are they willing to change their ways and allow Pochettino time that's the big one for me because like I say they become accustomed to it was it two decades worth of Abramovich just chopping and changing managers left right and centre you're not working out you go and are they going to expect that now probably because you get set in your ways don't you and it's not working it's not working by your imagination it is the gift that keeps on giving at the minute Chelsea Football Club they are miles off it and Chloe's right their squad is a shambles given the amount of money they've spent. It's terrible. They're starting 11 against Aston Villa at the weekend. Uh, Robert Sanchez in goal. He did he's, well, but he's, he's crap. crap. He's just crap. Uh, Malo Gusto, um, right back, who again Not sounds long. like he does an absolutely splendid, a restaurant does a splendid carbonara. Um, <laughs> Axel de Sarsi. He's not that good Axel either. Disaster. Really? Um, oh, God. <laughs> Tiago Silva still he's 37 uh, at least I'd be older yeah. I, mean, I think he's 38 now um, um, Levi Colwell left back yeah. uh, good decision mate mm. <sighs> a double pivot of uh, Moises Caicedo he's having a lovely and job. Conor Gallagher I was Conor Gallagher and you're starting 11 uh, 43-1 the three in front Raheem Sterling Bastard. Enzo Fernandez Crap. and Mikhailo Mudrich Crap who has got Bruno Sherry written all over him, by the way. Um, in the, there's clearly an... All, it, fundamentally, there's an all right player in there, but okay. sitting around him and I hope and going, oh, it's going to come, it's going to come, it's going to come. There's just some footballers for whom it never does. Mm. Yeah. And you need to see more, I think, you know, in the, in the spell. You, or you, you often find when you look back and go, that never worked out. You go, that first, like, 10 games... You needed to see something. Like, let's look at um, like Dejan Kulisevsky as, a, as an example. Yeah, yeah. Comes in on loan and just absolutely hits the ground running. Just, you know, uh, does enough. Like, look at Nicholas and Elka on loan. Doesn't score loads of goals, but yeah. you can see there's a player there from from, from minute one. I, I, he feels like one of them that they'll be, they'll be, he'll go out on loan somewhere and come back and have a good loan spell and come back and he'll be the one where they're going, oh, we had a good loan spell here. Um, yeah, maybe this will be, this, he'll, maybe he'll kick on. I'm not sure. Do you know... Nicholas Jackson up front, by the way. Yeah, yeah who I think is a good footballer but can't put it in the back of the net. Um, you know, the weird thing about Mundrick, though, is... And I, sorry to go back to Arsenal, but you know how I mentioned I felt like Arsenal needed reinforcements? They put, like, a 90 mil bid in on the table yeah. for Mundrick. So do you reckon it would have turned out differently for Arsenal? Or also, if Arsenal knew they needed the backup and they were going and they were going to go and spend 90 mil on Mudrick do you think it was just a case of they realised that they could get Declan Rice that they've decided to put it all into that instead there's, just, there's, there was loads of dodgy things around the Mudrick what stuff wasn't there it was to do with there was like payments directly to to 
They got Trossard in there in the back of Mudrick. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, it's a different ball game in terms of money, isn't it? Yeah, there's a sliding door thing where Arsenal get him and they don't get to put the money in somewhere else. No, I think that's an. I think that's an. You ran past James Milner though. We shouldn't forget that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thirty-something-year-old man for pace three times, and apparently he was the best footballer that's ever been. He, it just happens. Some footballers sometimes, and sometimes it just doesn't. You know, you come, you come to Chelsea. There is a lot of pressure on that, and for whatever reason, it's not, it's not worked so far. But sorry, Chloe, I just go to the bench. Leslie uh, Ugo Chukwu uh, Amando Brozier is amazing that these they're still Cole Palmer 65 million pound oh my god million pound Cole Palmer ladies and gentlemen um, Ben Chilwell I think I think he's great I, I like um, him Cucurella I mean, again, you've got you two. You've got a hundred million pounds worth of left backs on the bench. Anyway, uh, Dorde Petrovic, Ian Matson, David, yes, David Washington, and Lucas Bergstrom. Yeah, no idea. And my question was going to be, where's the billion pounds? We don't know. And but uh, but in saying so, again, there's a hundred million pounds worth of left backs. Well, maybe more. Because I think isn't that Madsen? Oh check. God! Yeah, in fact, he's another. I'm just, yeah. I'm just checking. Yeah, there. I'm sure he plays left back. Yeah. yeah, he plays left back. Yeah, he's a, he's a kid. He's a caddy. There's three left backs on that bench. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Why are they playing Levi Colwell at left back instead of centre back and just playing? And you, probably, be, probably because it's probably not. It's probably there's a, probably an inversion thing going on where okay. Gusto maybe cuts, cuts in a bit or whatever he's why. playing, but. Um, I mean, Gusto did cut in. in. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. You know what? I don't think gets spoken about enough. Enzo Fernandez being at 105 million quid because he's been non-existent since he's been well, there the, for the, me. They're playing him. You think he's 105 mil? No, he's a good footballer. I don't he, know if he's a good footballer, mil, and then there's 105 mil. He's not 105. But Chelsea mil. overpaying for players isn't exactly breaking news. No, but, why, but, no, why, but why is that not being spoken about though? Your point goes back to I remember making this on Thursday night pint last season of the most expensive midfielders in the world of all time and Artemelo was still in the top 10 most expensive midfielders ever for the transfer from Barca to, to Juve and the point stood like Zidane was in the top 10 you know from 20 years earlier on yeah. Kevin De Bruyne Wolfsburg to Man City was still, was still in there Paul Pogba Man United was, it was in there and the point made is that there's, there's a reason people don't spend loads of money on central midfielders. I don't yeah. know what it is, but there just is. Because they don't... Unless it's someone who's going to score 15 goals plus a season from midfield or be an absolute genius-level footballer who's going to... You know, enjoy, like Bellingham's doing it for, yeah. for, you know, for, for Real Madrid. And, and I would argue that Sobers like could, could actually do something similar for Liverpool. Hundred million, you're paying hundred million for defensive midfielders. Arsenal just done it for Declan Rice. Where's your value? What do you, what what do you get back for that? You spend hundred million pounds on a centre forward because they're going to score goals that win games yeah. of football for you. Or a goalkeeper. Or a goalkeeper. Or your or your main leader centre half because they'll still shut things down and stop you from conceding goals. But the midfield stuff, there has to be a reason why this hasn't happened over all the years. And Enzo Fernandez, I mean, they're playing him in the ten. I don't know. Like. Why is he? Why is he not playing in the double pivot with Caicedo? Why are they? And again, injuries. But yeah, mad. The mad, thing mad, is, mad. though, is that like Enzo Fernandez is a good footballer. I, I, I agree I with really that. Good, yeah. And he tore us apart on the opening day of the season. Really but good. since then, I've watched pretty much nearly every Chelsea game apart from this one, and I watched the highlights. And aside from him missing the target every time of being asked to, 
it, I've not actually seen anything special from him. And when you say a hundred million, he should be levels above everyone else, especially when the team is so crap. You should be able to go. I feel sorry for Enzo because he's he's on a different level to all of these people. And instead, I'm watching them and I'm like, not hundred mil player. Is he already wondering what am I doing here? Essentially, because you look at what they're up to and where they are in the league and the results they're getting. And I agree with your point, but he's he's better than most of them for me. He's probably already thinking, why why am I playing footy here? He might be already looking at a way out. Which is another problem Chelsea could face. Not Not with a lot of them, because a lot of them are crap. But the better ones, him, Levi Cole, potentially further down the line, who knows, might start thinking, well, I want Champions League footy. So they're going to face different problems down the line. If they've spent 105 mil on him, right, yeah, and he's their best player and he wants to leave because everyone else around him is crap. Chelsea aren't going to sit there and let him go for a bargain. This is the problem that he's now got himself into. He's a good footballer. 105 was outrageous to pay on him. He's not proved he's worth that. And now he's in a squad where he's the best midfielder. 100% agree with that. But if he wants to force his move, he's got a problem because Chelsea are just going to sit there and go, you're my best midfielder and who's going to spend that hundred and something quid on it? And you're on an eight-year contract. Exactly. Um, yeah. Um, Chelsea currently sit 14th. I don't know, I, I, just a, I'll do this every week until we're at the 10-game point. I don't really care too much for the league table at this point, but in this instance... They've got five points from the first six games. Just Brighton are third on 15 points. Chelsea's ambition, they need their minimum expectation, it's because it's Chelsea, will be to get back into the Champions League. It has to be. Even if it's you're talking Europa League, guaranteed Europa League place, which is fifth. And sixth. Sixth. Sixth as well. You know, uh, what's the point of Villa are on 12 points and six. So he's seven points behind that, uh, that already. They're out of the title race and they're playing catch up. Yeah. Six games into the season. Yeah. yeah. There's an international break coming up. And Chelsea of previous incarnations would have got rid of him in this international break coming up. Done. Yep. Get Frank Lampard back. See what he can do. Thanks to Paul and the team for that one. Next up, then we've got Jano Insight. I spoke to Neil Jones, journalist extraordinaire, about Jurgen Klopp's future after the story emerged that he had turned down the chance to take over the German national side. So here's what Neil had to say about the gaffer. I want to talk first, this happened last Friday and it was interesting really, it was obviously, for those who don't know, Germany sacked Hansi Flick after, funny enough, Endo and, <laughs> yeah. his, and his Japan team wiped the floor with them in a recent game. Uh, Paul Joyce reported again on Friday that Jürgen Klopp rejected the Germany job before they appointed Julian Nagelsmann on a short-term deal. Um, interesting because Germany hosts the Euros yeah. um, and he could he could, have, he could have been the manager of his home team in the Euros. A, fair enough that he, they've asked the question, but... There's been a lot of talk recently about Jürgen's future. Obviously, he's under contract for another couple of years. It looks like he didn't even give this one a second thought, which is nice because I know a lot of people would just presume he would just dismiss it, but I don't think it would be particularly easy for every single person in the world to go, you know what, here's my home country in the home Euros to come and manage them. But he has just knocked it on the head straight away. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think with with Jürgen, there's a few things. But what one one is obviously, I think he knows that when he wants that job... He'll, he's, he can have it, you know. I, I don't think there's. I don't think it's one of them where it's like this is the only chance you get to be the Germany manager. You know, sometimes that is the case, isn't it, with clubs or with national teams? Yeah. You know, you, you say no now and you'll never get never get another one. Maybe, maybe it's like Graham Potter, for example, must have looked at Chelsea and thought, I think I'll ever get that opportunity. I think, obviously, 
you say, you know, yeah, what a, what an honour, the the home Euros, the you know, the chance of glory. There's also the chance that you sort of look at Hansi Flick. Hansi Flick won, you know, won everything at Bayern Munich. You know, was the real sort of hot property in in, in football. It's not worked out for him, and all of a sudden his his stocks plummeted. You know, if you if you do have a Imagine Germany went and had a sort of underwhelming or really poor Euros, and it's possible with the way that the that the team's been going. Yeah. You know, you've you've said goodbye to Liverpool to to do that. You know, that would be that would be in my mind. But also, I think just the way he's been speaking about this team just just tells you that you know I don't think it's coincidental that he's been speaking this way, but that. I think it's, I won't say re-energised them, but it's definitely energised them. Yeah. You know, it's given them this feeling of, oh, I'm really sort of almost flashbacks. I think you know to the sort of probably the start of his Dortmund journey, and and when he saw that team starting to emerge, probably the start of his Liverpool journey, where he's seeing pieces falling into place. And you know, I've heard him speak many, many times on camera and off camera, like watching training and sort of saying to he like says to his coaches, you know, like. Like, well, look at this, you know, like this is unbelievable, you know, the, the standard of, of quality. So, um, I think it was never likely to, to to come there. I'm not surprised Germany. Obviously, listen, if, if you're if you're the German FA, you're looking saying, right, who's the man? I'm pretty sure, like those sort of police dramas when they have the, uh, the the suspects sort of lined up. I'm pretty sure the biggest pitcher on that board is Jurgen Klopp, and he's the target number one. But yeah, I'm not surprised that he said no to it. Um, I think there's an expectation that he will manage Germany one day, but I think it's still a fair way down the line. He doesn't, he doesn't to me strike me as someone who's sort of easing into that approach of oh, I wouldn't mind a sort of more laid back management life. I think he wants the sort of day to day and he wants the the ability to to keep building something. Um, and listen, if Liverpool carry on the way they're going, I think he is going to build something. Absolutely. Yeah. It was interesting his comments, wasn't it? When he says, you know, this is in year eight, this is year yeah. one. I think that was a, a great comment. Obviously, he's under contract till 2026. My hope is that <laughs> this, you talk about re energising him because he looked knackered and when he's been speaking about it. I think he said last time when he signed the contract, um, I didn't want to leave Liverpool in this period of transition yeah. without me. Now they're going through that transition and it looks like touch wood, he might have got it right again, which they've done on a couple of occasions. Now, it's just whether he give, whether he's going to award, do I want to give this team to somebody else now? Because if it goes yeah. as well as his Dortmund build went and then as well as his Liverpool first build went like you know go and reap the reward yourself get, get a, you know I wonder if, if I'm if I'm FSG now and he's in this great mood I'd be like that with a contract in front I, of his face I, can you can you do yeah. a little bit now get I've, a heard, I've heard people say that and you know I know there was a little bit of sort of false hope put on Twitter yesterday wasn't there you guys tweeted something where it was if you think I'm going to get excited about someone tweeting about a contract that sounds like something Dan would tweet yeah. yeah I mean it was obviously a wind up <laughs> um, thing but uh, you're right I mean I think as well, from his point of view, and listen, this this is this is me speaking as the sort of devil's advocate a little bit. What has he not proven as a manager? What he hasn't proven is, can he do it again? Yeah. As in with the same with the same club. So he got Dortmund to the top of the mountain. You know, nearly to nearly make Dortmund European champions. You know, having won back to back Bundesliga, unbelievable achievement. But it went, it went away, and it fell away, and he, you know, he he ended up still being successful, but not quite rekindling that glory. He got Liverpool to the top of the mountain, incredible, you know, three four years of of, of success, high higher standards imaginable, but fell away, and now you know now he's he's rebuilding again. If you can do it again, and that was what you know, that's what the great managers are sort of defined by, really. You know, the great managers I'm talking about, and I'm thinking of Ferguson as sort of probably the number one example and maybe Wenger as the 
the number one example, the opposite of, oh yeah, but Wenger had a golden period, even Mourinho had a golden period, but it didn't last and it, and it fell away. If Jürgen can get Liverpool back to, you know, even just winning the Europa League, winning, you know, competing for the title again, it just re- reaffirms this idea that, wow, like what? What a manager, you know, it wasn't just how everything fell into place for him and he got the right people around him and Michael Edwards was doing all the good business and, you know, Man City had an off period or whatever. It just reaffirms this idea that, wow, this is some manager. And I I, I do think that would... I'm not saying it would be top of his list. You know, he says often, doesn't he, oh, I don't read what people think or whatever, but I do think that, that idea of, you know, can't... Can we get that proper feel? And also a little bit. Can we get that feeling of those parades and that? You know, imagine imagine winning the Premier League, even the Europa League, the the, the Champions League again, but with with the supporters as well behind us. I think that would really, really sort of it would be his his utopia, really. And yeah, I think the only way he's going to be doing that is at Liverpool, isn't it? You're not going to get that feeling, uh, uh, you know, with the German national team or you know by going on a sabbatical for the year and waiting for another job to turn up. So I think he's still very much in that in that mix of proving himself again. Not that he needs to with Liverpool supporters, but maybe just, you know, as I say, cementing that legacy and idea that this is one of the great managers of the modern era, which, you know, for me he already is, but he's still, you know, you can still move further up that list we saw his reaction at full time there's a clip on our yeah. YouTube show if you haven't seen it by the way guys and he was right banging first of all he seems to love the purple like he's, <laughs> yeah. rocking, he's rocking the I mean people are at home and he's still rocking my, the purple my um, girlfriend texts me 10 minutes into the game I'll be WhatsApp up on my laptop and I just uh, it just a Klopp's outfit and a heart eyes emoji and I was just like, <laughs> I was like yeah and, and didn't care to me I was looked at him and I was like yeah he's in purple here isn't he so he just uh, uh, did his uh, luggage maybe get lost on the way back from Lask but um, he looked nice yeah no but he, I, I think that's another one isn't it you know like you can tell with Jürgen there are just a few there are moments where he he has his finger on the pulse of, of mood and I remember it the one I remember was when they beat Leeds 6-0 and that's the quadruple season where it was almost a little bit like Liverpool had they'd gone ten, twelve points behind City, and they were starting to claw it back. But there was a lot of a mood where it was a bit like, ah, not, not, it's not happening. This, it's not happening. And then he beat Leeds, and it was like it was almost like he went right, press the button, and he he give it, didn't he? You know, he give it beans you know, in front of the cop, and it was like right, we're in this. Come on, get, you know, let's have it. And I do think there is a little bit of a feeling of that now. It's like, you know, West Ham at home. It's not nothing new to beat West Ham at home you know they've not won many games at Anfield in the last 50 years but that is that feeling of that's another tough test passed you know that's five wins in a row look we're in there now look do you believe me now you know have you stopped worrying about the transfer window have you stopped worrying about having a number six or whatever come on let's have it and yeah I do think he um, I do think he's sort of he looks a little bit of a man reborn this season, doesn't he? And his team, his team are following suit. It looks like I think you know sometimes as a fan or as a coach or or whatever anyone really when you, when you've got a good team yeah. and you can tell sometimes like I, 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 in boxing I'm a big boxing fan and you can yeah. tell when a boxer knows that like yeah I'm probably going to beat this guy. Yeah. They just they, they carry themselves with an attitude and Jürgen last year. He seemed a bit again. I know he's had a couple of run-ins with people this year, but like he was very tetchy. He was yeah. always going like he's big. Sm- the smiles back. Like the, I remember being on the cop and people were wanting to do the fist pumps. And he was having none of it. I think we don't. And it was like you could tell now he's got he, the, the, yeah. the, the mojo is the right word. But you, like David, you no, put back I to the top of the show. David said, didn't he? You know, this is a serious team. I think Jürgen thinks he's got a serious team now. I, I think as well. I, I think you're right. I think it's it's a bit like you know, a bit like mouthing off when you've got nothing. 
to back back it up. And, and no, that's that's a sort of very basic way of putting it. But there were a few moments last season where, and I said this to, to journalists at the time, and I I, I think I, I think I, one of the questions was something something I asked them. But there was a couple of times when when journalists and not not to catch him out, not to be rude or anything, but but asked them something where I thought, you know, if he was, if if Liverpool were going for the title, he'd have either either bit and says are you are you for real like you know how are, are you really asking me that question you know but he actually was he would almost go yeah you're right you know like we were you know we, yeah we are we, we are you know slow starters at the moment or we are sort of yeah we did look um you know like we we were lacking confidence or yeah we whatever you know it was it was like he'd he'd accepted he'd accepted that you know like I can't defend that or I can't sort of you know I, I can't fight for this team's on it at the moment because the, the evidence is there in front of you. I think he's very different now. Obviously, we've seen a few few moments this season, of course, where he's you know he's he's not taken kindly to sort of the idea of of criticism. But I think when you know you've got the artillery behind you, it's a lot easier to sort of be that kind of um, forceful, you know, defiant character. I think last season there was a, a few moments I think where he just looked a little bit browbeaten and a little bit sort of not out of ideas but sort of sick I think he actually said that at Wolves I'm pretty sure he said you know I'm I'm I can only keep saying this for the same you know for, for a certain amount of time we can't keep going back to playing 60 games last season it's January I think he said or February um we've got to get over ourselves a little bit and I think there was an element of that last season it doesn't feel like that I think one of the big things from this season feels like Excuses are just being removed from the from the way you know transfer window doesn't matter, early kickoff doesn't matter, you know travel Europa League doesn't matter, or injury or suspension for Virgil Van Dijk doesn't matter, it, you know just we'll win, we'll, we'll we'll get it out the way and so far so good. Listen, Saturday's huge, huge huge game because I think Tottenham are, are in a different way but very similar. I, I actually covered their game at Burnley recently. Um, they won five two, I think, up at Burnley. I did. I definitely did cover it. <laughs> um, but it reminded me a little bit. There was a little bit of Liverpool about it in the in the fans at the end. You know, in, in Turf Moor, where they were sort of worshipping Ange Postecoglou and sort of they were chanting, "We've got our Tottenham back." And this feeling of ah, look, we, we're starting to love this team, and that makes them a dangerous proposition. You know, you saw them. I think they lose that game on Sunday against Arsenal. Nine times out of ten in recent years, they didn't. They fought back, so they're they're a serious proposition. And if Liverpool can go and get a good result there, you know, that really is another huge hurdle passed on this sort of journey for, you know, re-establishing themselves as one of the top sides. Absolutely. If uh, Mike Gordon or FSG watching, you can put the contract in front of him now. Why he's in a good mood? You go, yeah, you'll go and box that one off, and we'll hmm. get another couple of years added on to the end. Of it. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weightloss. That's plushcare.com slash weightloss. 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Thanks very much, Fenil, for that one. Right then, let's move on. It's the final word show. Yes, Liverpool won 3-1 again. This time, of course, it was against Leicester City in the League Cup. And Dan Club hosted the final word show to bask in the glory of Liverpool advancing to the next round of the Carabao Cup. So yeah, check this one out as well. Liverpool, like I say, gets back to 1-1 and we introduce, speaking about good subs, we introduce Darwin Nunes and a certain Dominic Sabozla. I don't know if you've heard of him, he's doing okay. Um, <laughs> made me laugh actually because obviously I was there last night and like two minutes obviously did the Nunes chance go around and stuff like that. But like I think like the first couple of minutes of Sabozla being on the pitch, he almost gets into a bit of space on the turn and he, I think he essentially falls over the ball. He does. Gets it massively all along. Yeah. And like, he is human. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, yeah. That, wasn't, that wasn't what we expected. Yeah. But anyway, um, not long after that, he, he similar to Darwin Nunes last week. He, he changes that around. Um, I mean, well, I'll come to you first on the goal, mate. Like, what are we witnessing here? Like, that is a violent, violent strike of a football bat. <laughs> oh. And what, what, what a goal, mate! Mate, honestly, I was, I can't even explain it because you, you got to have some guts, man, and some confidence in yourself to pull it off. And the, you know, people keep comparing him to Gerard. Gerard, I'm like, yeah, cool, but. Just let him be in for now. Do you know what I mean? Let him run his course of who he is and become the player he wants to be. Uh, but his mate, he shot it. It went in and he tried it again. He tried it again. Yeah, but yeah, yeah um, the shot itself. So the power, and there was no chance at any can. Where it went in the goal, it's like no one could have got that. Like for that speed as well. Yeah, no, we could have had two keepers, mate. Not a chance yeah. in hell. Not a single chance. Like, like I say, I mean, we spoke briefly about it upstairs, Mick. I mean, talk about the goal itself, but in terms of strikes from a Liverpool perspective, here, where does that rank in the ones you've seen? Because you've had John Ardavisa, had Gerard himself down yeah. the years, pull off some absolute thunderbolts, but that's right up there, isn't it? It's the it's the power he gets, and it just the way, it, he just strokes his foot, and it's just like it's not even like he's trying, and it, the way he hits it, obviously he hits it so cleanly. The keeper doesn't even move when it's in the it's in the back of the net, basically, isn't it? Like it looks like the keeper dives late, but it's just the speed of the ball. Yeah, I was trying to think of like obviously Gerard's the easy comparison to make. You've got Risa, I, mean, I guess yeah. Ox is against City where he wellies it, oh, I guess. Yeah. But that one it just I don't know I don't know why, but that one just seemed like it was 
extra powerful. I don't know what it was. I don't know if it was because we were one <laughs> one and it was a bit. Powerful. It was extra, it, the game was a bit needly because it was Leicester and you just thought, you know, I fuck this. I'm just going to hit this as hard as I can. And it was yeah, even more confirmation, wasn't it, for yeah. us? It was even more like we've been bigging him up for the last like three four weeks, and you always still have that tiny bit of doubt, maybe. And then things like that just confirm, yeah, yeah, we're not just getting... Because as Liverpool fans, we get overexcited sometimes, right? But that just confirms, okay, yeah, cool. He is who we think he is. Like, just, yeah, brilliant. No, 100%, mate. I absolutely agree with you. And it's funny, and forgive me, people watching all this thing, because I said this pretty much last week, but he... We spoke a lot when we signed him and all the sort of the feedback was he's great quality, great technician, strikes a footy really well. He'll have magic moments and we again spoke upstairs and the highlight reels, all these absolute worldies. He was scoring the free kick and you think, God, we're going to have fun with this lad. <laughs> but for weeks, it's been like his hard work. It's been his pressing, his endeavour, his defensive duties getting back. And we've all been waxing Liverpool about that. And then all of a sudden, he does the goal. He scores the goal against Bournemouth a couple of weeks ago and you think, OK. And then he does that last night and you think, OK, so he's got everything then this guy's got absolutely everything it, um, go on go it's, so, it's so strange how it can go from when I was watching the transfer your transfer um, podcast well watching it and listening and um, some like guessing how to say his name like, <laughs> yeah, people yeah. guessing how to say his name and now everybody knows his name it's just like well I think everyone's got their own interpretation <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't think anyone's yeah, yeah. got it nailed on to be, I know I haven't but I remember sitting literally in this chair on one of the news shows when David Ornstein tweeted Liverpool were interested in him and I was doing a news show probably about Romeo Lavia forgive me it might not have been <laughs> and probably. somebody probably was almost certainly was somebody in our in our chat said oh Liverpool about to trigger the release clause for Dominic so I was like and at the time I could not not say his name I honestly <laughs> thought someone was taking the piss just to try and get me to say that surname because yeah, I yeah. made an absolute hash of it time it was a nightmare it yeah. is a nightmare I think even just like typing it on Twitter it, my phone got used to it so I was like thank fuck my phone tells me now <laughs> so I just type in Zob and it pops up for me yeah, so I'm yeah, like yeah. is it an S is it a Z is it what but now I'm just like it's, it's in there and yeah. It's, yeah it's I mean he's become a house like a household name in Liverpool especially already like he's he's not been here that long so you know what? it's funny you should say that cause I was driving home the other night and a kid Liverpool kit on his bike cycling along he had the Bosley eight yeah. on the back of his shirt Banging. and it's that obviously that's that's happening across Liverpool of course but the first time I, obviously you go to game you'll see it all the time but just passing the street and I seen yeah. it and I thought okay yeah we are we're onto something here with this lad I mean what a strike um, quad bod Romeo Lavia who's that yeah I'd never heard of him um, <laughs> Dom Sabozlai is how Disney would make a footballer yeah, I like that um, I want to touch on a moment Mick before the goal and the goal so good people have probably forgotten about it and rightfully so but Endo actually provides the assist for this goal yeah. I don't know oh you knew that okay, yeah, it's yeah. Good. people are forgetting about that and the pass is actually really good like it's threaded between like there's three Leicester players half in front of him half trying to stop the pass happening and Endo finds it really well and to speak about the assist and the fact he plays that pass but Endo generally I thought last night grew into the game and I think he got better and better as it went on yeah I think in the uh, it was the last game weren't it where he looked he just looked like he was a couple of seconds behind. Like he would, he'd, people would be flying into him, and he just looked like he weren't at the races. So obviously, online with people, people were like, "Oh, is this the, the right fella? Is who's this and whatever? What's he, what's he going to provide?" And it's like it doesn't matter how he's experienced as he is. He still needs time to come into a new, a new country. It's not sharp yet. Different speed of different speed of, of of footy as well, isn't it? And I think especially like the last half an hour. Last night, I thought he really grew into. He's making fouls. He was getting stuck in. He was all blood and thunder. It's what you want him to be. Mm-hmm. I think it's again. He's another player that's not going to not going to start for us in in the current um, 
strongest eleven. But what an option to come off the bench if you need someone to, to go in there and get stuck in and just make just make fouls, just get stuck in and just be just be busy. I, th- I don't. It's, it's hard. I mean, we're making comparisons to Sobis and Gerard, but I think like if you can be like a a small version of Mascherano in some yeah. way, then we've got an absolute player. Because I think even in that last half hour. I mean, making Mascherano comparisons is probably a bit mad at this stage. Like, but I think <laughs> if he can just be some form of that and just just do the dog work and the and the dirty work, then it's 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 going to be perfect for us. What we want to try to trying to achieve. I think he'll be really good at you know once he's found his sort of form about slowing games down. You know, coming on and like you said, just doing the hard work and just, making the little yeah. fouls and just slowing the games down if we need them to. Um, but yeah, similar to what you're saying, I, I think he started slow. Like it did look like he was in slow motion at times, <laughs> um, but it's the, like you say, the speed of the game is so much quicker, and they are they are an ex prem team. It's not like we're facing an actual championship championship team. We're, yeah. we're facing Leicester, who were decent and the top uh, of the championship, flying yeah. high. I mean, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, they've kept confidence. most of the players. Yeah, yeah, as well, so. decent side, yeah, yeah. mate. Absolutely. Yeah. Wilford indeed, he came off the bench, and he at one time was touted as being better than Leicester. Essentially, yeah, yeah. when he was in the Premier League, <laughs> you know what I mean? No, that's yeah. good against us. Last yeah, year, exactly, right? mate. Yeah, look, I, I think as made up friend, though, I think he probably needed that because some of the some of the words coming from Klopp were not worrying and end of himself, but saying like almost like reiterating the fact that we need him and we wanted him, and when that starts happening, so really into Craig, start thinking, aye, aye, why is Klopp feeling the need to go into bat for him justifying yeah yeah exactly yeah but like I said I think he needed that performance last night and I was made up for him I think first 20 minutes because I I was almost sticking up for him uh, last week um, on one of the I think it's the IMR show and I was saying let's just reserve judgement on him a little bit because you're right people on social media and some people in here were kind of saying I'm not sure what he is and for the 20 minutes last night I was watching him thinking God I might be the wrong here like he might not be it but like I say I think he come come round last night I think he had a good end to the game I think, um, I think sorry, sorry Don, I think Klopp said something didn't he like about he's been, he's been too nice or something yeah and I think that's something that like he's probably coming in and he's like well there's all these good players here and I'm probably not going to start and whatever else so it's, it's having confidence in his own ability as well I think there's a, we've got a lot of players that need to have a bit more confidence in themselves I think Darwin Nunes has now started to show that but I think if Endo can do that as well, then he's, he is pushing to, to start to starting games. Well, when there's, comp- sorry, when there's competition for places, you need lads to be willing to fight for the place. Because yeah, otherwise, yeah. you're not going to lose, aren't you? You know uh, what I mean? And let's, see, let's look at the team that we've got at the moment, the whole squad. There, there's no way anybody just walks into a team anymore, um, apart from like Trent um, and Virgil. But that, like in terms of the attacking midfield, it's, it's a battle to get onto them. And I feel like you're talking about confidence. And I remember... You know, when we had like, when we were in the Prem in the Champions League, it was like there was no doubt at all, ever. Like you could see it in the players; they'd go on and be like, "Yeah, we're just going to go out there and do our thing." Yeah. And that's slowly coming back to certain players. You can see it in their body language when they get on the pitch; they just got a bit of swagger about them. But yeah, no, it's good signs. <laughs> Sorry, quite bad returns our discourse. At the end, there was five for eight to kick off and six foot two by the final. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I like that a lot. Um, he's a silky DM and doesn't get noticed so much. Yeah, do you know what? That's an interesting point, actually, because I thought last night, although he did all the DM stuff really well and he was harassing players and he was busy and his position was really good, like when Leicester were clearing, he was more often than not the first one sort of recycling and getting us back on the front foot, which is massive for that role. But his progressive passing and his use of the ball was actually really intelligent last night, I thought, as well. So, yeah, nice performance. Happy for the lad. Glad we could give him his flowers as well. Cheers to Dan, Will and the team for that one. Hope you guys enjoyed it. Finally then, let's crack on with expert insight. Of course, it was announced earlier in the week that FSG had sold a minority stake in Liverpool Football Club. And yeah, who else to speak to for Dan Club on expert insight than the Echo's financial expert, Dave Powell. A really good conversation with Dan and Dave. Check out what they had to say. 
Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Redmen TV and your latest edition of Expert Insight. I'm delighted to say I'm joined at relatively short notice by Liverpool Echo Business and Football Advisor Dave Powell. How are you doing, mate? You okay? Really good, Dan. Thank you, mate. How are you? Yeah, mate, I'm all good. Yeah, nice one for joining me. Like I say, it kind of got sprung upon us a little bit this afternoon, this, and normally these things are quite pre-planned and we know what we're going to talk about and it's all in line. But yeah, the um, relative shock announcement this afternoon, I think it's fair to say, of FSG Liverpool confirming they have agreed uh, minority investment from Dynasty Equity over in America, obviously New York-based firm. I suppose to start with, for people who haven't seen it or anyone sort of a broad overview of what exactly has happened if you could give us that yes I mean this investment search has been going on for a while now it's kind of um, the door was kicked open last November wasn't it to a uh, when a sales debt was presented and Mike Gordon uh, moved across to seconded to, to kind of take care of the investment search um, a lot of names were kicked about many erroneously so the likes of the QIA etc that was never on the table but for um, for yeah, they finally found a minority partner and it's uh, Dynasty Equity I believe it's low single digit um percentage they've acquired but uh it'll be for a sum between 100 200 million dollars but what it will do is uh it's not for transfers which will be um to the ire of of, of some uh, reds fans i imagine but uh, what it does do is pay off down the bank debt um from that was accrued from the construction of you know the anfield road construction uh the training ground at kirkby pre-purchasing melwood all those type of things um coming out of the pandemic so uh, uh, fsg don't like having that kind of debt sitting on their um balance sheet so effectively it clears that i believe the money's already come in and already gone out so it kind of it's an open and closed book really but um yeah it brings at least uh, draw, allows us to draw a line under under this long search. And I think the most telling thing about it all was the it, it kind of it's the reaffirmation, I suppose, of, of FSG's longer term commitment to the football club, and um, quite explicit in the fact that the football club isn't for sale, uh, and they're not seeking another minority partner. Um, chance that this particular deal could, uh, you know, evolve into something more further on down the line. But for the time being, this is what they were searching for caught me by surprise a bit um didn't believe it was this uh, a deal investment deal was close um and um nor did, did dynasty equity really register in terms of what they might do they're only a new firm 2022 they were founded but founded by real industry veterans in in the u.s um don cornwell uh, jonathan nelson and um, both of them who have extensive experience in terms of um sporting acquisitions so nelson played a key role in the Yes Network um, getting that up and running a few years back um, Don Cornwell again he, he's got a, you know he was a, had headed up the sports department at Morgan Stanley um, for years um, before he, he moved into private equity running his own firm so they've, they've got a wealth of experience and also a senior advisor to the company is David Ginsberg who's uh, one of the FA partners, uh, former uh, director of Liverpool, uh, sat on the board. So there's a lot of this kind of a sympathetic relationship which exists um, throughout this whole thing. So it does make sense on, on the face of it. I was expecting, if I'm honest, um, more of a, uh, a potentially a business which may arrive, you know, maybe a, not being specific about Liberty Media, but a company like that whereby they might offer some um, something else in terms as well as capital. Um, but Dynasty may offer that further on down the line, but for the time being, it's um, all what this is business transaction. 
Yeah, I was going to ask you about that, actually. We'll touch upon it now, given that you mentioned it. Like We spoke recently about Liberty Media and the fact that did make a lot of sense in terms of the expertise and what they'd bring to the table and like, how they'd look to advance Liverpool Football Club as a, as a business, as a product, as an entity in many ways. And it's interesting that we clearly haven't gone down that route because, as you've kind of alluded to there, this... Then it's the equity they bring. They bring finance, they bring money, but they don't necessarily bring that similar level of expertise, I think I'm right in saying. Um, they do from an individual point of view, um, not so much from the assets that they already invest in that might be able to be plugged into Liverpool um, in kind of a vertical way, I suppose, because it's, it's a company which is still pretty much in its infancy. Um, Liberty Media obviously have a, a lot of things on their plate. The F1, the great success with Drive to Survive, a big content play. Um, they own Sirius XM, all those type of things. So they know the media, but so do the individuals in, in Dynasty, if I'm honest, so Don Cornwell and Jonathan Nelson. They both, you know, both worked on expanding media deals, one of them with the ML, MLS, one with the MLB uh, and the NBA. I mean, Don Cornwell served as an advisor to, to both the NFL and the NBA. So the people that know um, what they're talking about. So it won't just be a case of this is just anyone who can provide cash. I mean, they could have, they could have um, gone down that route. This is people they know, people they can probably tap into. But for now, what it does really is just solve the issue they wanted solving, but potentially gives them um, something to open up in in the future. Um, although my my feeling, my, my initially when we we were talking about Liberty Media etc., was that it would provide them with a very clear out, someone a business so big that they could accrete their investment and then take over uh, FSG stakeholding over time. But um, this kind of is very much a, like I mentioned before, really a reaffirmation of their position that they are at Liverpool for the long term, I think. I think it draws a very thick line underneath um, what's been, obviously, Twitter and, and or X, whatever it is now, um, has been rife with rumour of this, that and the other for, for months. And that's what, what happens. And I knew as soon as the transfer window closed, we'd get rumours around uh, the QIA and, and Saudi Arabia and uh, Singapore investment funds, etc. None of those transpired because no talks from people I know who, who were close to it and, um, never transpired with those organisations, but also it was never mentioned to me about dynasty equity, so I can't claim to lay claim to have prior knowledge about that. But usually that's because um, I think it goes to show how in house and how close to their chest FSG keep these things. Um, it's it's kind of you know they it's something which has been a, a hallmark of it really. A lot of these things, are, I mean, these are deals done with. A, a close, a close circle of people, people they trust. So there's no leaks anywhere, and it's it's kind of been done quite swiftly. Um, and I don't know whether it will show in terms of the debt being paid down in the forthcoming financial results. It might be the, the following year, but I believe the money's come in, gone out. So, um, but yeah, I, I think it. What it does is just really hammer home the fact that this is FSG see the continued rise in, in valuation of Liverpool Football Club and what they have to do as part of that is to invest into what happens on the pitch obviously but um, dynasty equity was the reason they're investing is for the value of the football club when they exit and private equity usually exits in three to five years give or take um, so but it could be longer they could stay in for 10 years 15 years Um but it'd be for as long as the valuation keeps on rising. I I anticipate Liverpool will probably grow a couple of billion before this this plays out in the next few years. 
Yeah, you would imagine so. It's interesting you mentioned sort of the time frame there. I spoke to a reporter from Private Secretary News, must be eight or nine months ago now, and he said a very similar thing to me because this is what they do. This is their modus operandi. They come in, they stick around for a couple of years, they sort of get back what they put in and some and then away they go onto the next one essentially so it'll be interesting to see how that plays out and you're right obviously there's there's a clear link there with David Ginsburg like you're saying this it shouldn't be a huge surprise that this has happened once you dig a little bit deeper it kind of makes a lot of sense and obviously as you say it's happened kind of behind the scenes and just kind of been sprung upon us a little bit you touched on it there but I wanted to ask you sort of in a plainer sense and I think you've already addressed it on social media so forgive me but the key question, essentially, out of all this is, what do dynasty equity get? And is it as simple as a longer-term profit? Will they be looking to make money from this in, in a couple of years' time, like you say? I mean, every investor wants to make money. Um, it's There's a there's a more lot, there's a longer plan for a lot of private equity, private equity in sport now. Um, there is a, a view that these valuations, while they, they won't go up forever because that's you know nothing goes up forever what goes up must come down eventually but there is still a long way to go with that and the reason i say that is because uh, in the us in north american sports there is uh, valuations a uh, multiple of revenue of 11 12 13 in some cases um valuations of seven eight nine billion for, for some of the nfl teams you know the dallas cowboys or the new york yankees and the mlb uh, Golden State Warriors and the NBA. A lot of that's because these deals, I mean, these leagues are protected. Um, they're closed leagues. Uh, there's no relegation promotion, but in reality, there's no relegation or promotion. There's no relegation for Liverpool. There's the, You can miss out on the Champions League, but there's no relegation, really, if we're being honest. Um, but what there is, is um, less security around media rights deals. So three years, there is, there is for a long period, there's been a cap on how long uh, all the cycle that the Premier League can engage with broadcasters. So it's been three years. Problem is for broadcasters, it costs a lot of money to get into that space and become a media partner. You have to, the, the setup costs are enormous, which is why Sky um, dominate. They've already swallowed those costs. And then, you know, but for any new players coming into the market, the setup costs are absolutely astronomical. So to get involved in that is hugely expensive. And to be limited at three years is a real hindrance. Um, there's, I believe they're going to be extended to four years for the next cycle, which will mean that valuations will go up because the the media rights deals will be stronger. Um, until such time that it kind of aligns with it, because the NFL signed a 10-year, um, 100 billion, uh, I think it was, yeah, um, deal with um, uh, the broadcaster for the broadcast rights there. You know that's absolutely astronomical, but that's that's for, for investors. That's security over a long period of time, and that's what they want. So, um, media rights is core to it, or media rights are going to continue to go up, uh, certainly for the next cycle. Because when uh, BT and Amazon and Sky renegotiated last time, it was uh, just coming out of COVID. They retained the status quo. People were unsure. But even then, we in 2021, they negotiated a deal for their international rights, which were hugely expensive. Uh, I know this is a really long-winded way to kind of explain the point, but media rights are hugely important to all of this. Um, there is They will continue to rise, and team valuations will continue to rise. So this... Call it $150 million uh, investment. I'm saying that just probably because it's the point between 100 and 200 million. I don't know the exact figure. Um, uh, for, depending on the, the, stake, the stake they have in Liverpool over time, they could exit 
their position in Liverpool, without FSG having to sell, they could exit their position in Liverpool um, for a far greater price in three, five years. And that's easy. The investors who invest with them, uh, that's what they, they want. They want the return eventually. They don't, you know, football isn't really a cash business. It's, um, it's an equity business and it's done, it's done on that, that basis, really. I mean, t- if you're looking at in terms of taking profit from a profitable business, I mean, Liverpool made a profit of after tax of, what, four and a half million, something like that last year. Um, and that's not going to, you know, that's not really enough for, to keep any investor engaged. The value lies in the value proposition and, and the, the potential for it to rise further in the future. And I think that's what you get with Liverpool. Mm-hmm. Um, Dynasty will know that the valuation is almost certainly going to rise, uh, likely, Almost certainly, with beyond a, another billion in the next three three years, purely because of the value of the um, the media rights, which will increase, and it's a win win for them. It solves FSG's problem, and by the you know they could equi- exit their minority position in three years, five years, or they could ride it out with FSG and increase their position over time. Um, but yeah, there's a re- they're, they're playing the long game here. There's no. Um, there's no short-term wins for them here. They'll, you know, when, when the price is right, like FSG, I mean, the FSG are in the business of value creation as opposed to um, seeking profit from their businesses. So that's where it will come, come into. So, um, yeah, I, I think this is a, a game that they'll play for at least three, you know, five years probably, maybe longer. It could be a, the start of a long-term relationship that turns into something else. But for now, the, the, the value is, is very clear for, for Dynasty. And finally, let's have a little go into the Deep Dive archives, shall we? Yes, indeed. I, this time, was joined by Josh Williams, filling in for the, the poorly Chris Page. Hopefully, Chris is feeling a bit better now. In fact, I know he is because I've literally been speaking to him. But yeah, at the time of recording, Chris was feeling a little bit unwell. So I spoke to Josh Williams at Distance Covered all about Curtis Jones and his development in this Liverpool side. Check it out. Genie Wijnaldum was labelled with this all the time. It's like, what does he do? Does he, he doesn't score much, which, which was fair. He didn't score too many. When he did, they were often big goals. Does he create anything? No, not really. He's not like the most creative player. All the creativity was coming yeah. from Trent, uh, maybe from Andy Robertson at that time. Are we at a point where, like, is it the role? Is Curtis doing the Genie Wijnaldum? Is he, is he getting clubs like Liverpool 2.0 version of Genie? Someone who is comfortable getting the ball. We've seen on the, he receives the ball well. As the stat show there, mm. he plays progressive passes. Yeah, he does that as well. But you're not getting that end product. That kind of does describe a bit of Genie Wijnaldum. Yeah, he is very similar to Genie, I think, in terms of his, his profile and that and what he offers and stuff. But then, I don't think he's. I don't think it's the same role. I think obviously the system has changed. We've now got a midfield box at times because Trent is inverting. Jones is now playing much higher up, whereas Wijnaldum was a lot more responsible for covering as fullback. You know, Robertson was advancing, wasn't he? Yeah. So I think the difference in that sense, but in terms of, I suppose, if you imagine like Liverpool as a, a recipe, if, if you think of that, like Jones, I think, is offering similar ingredients, if you like, to, to what Wijnaldum was offering in the sense that he never loses the ball, which we will touch on. Um, very press resistance, can get out of pressure and stuff. Um, isn't particularly creative, as we've just touched on. Wijnaldum just never created chances. He did arrive late in the box at times and score massive goals for Liverpool. But he was never really much of a creative spark. Who, it, I put it this way, I think if you, if you had Wayne Allen on the ball in the centre circle as an opponent, you wouldn't really be particularly worried, would you? I think no. that's one of the reasons maybe why we upgraded and looked towards Thiago, who was 
similar in, in the sense of keeping the ball, but was just a lot more penetrative with his passing. Do you think as well, going back to that, obviously the creative sparks of his here, um, there's only so many chances you can make, a team can make. Yeah. And if Mo Salah's making like 15 of them and Sabah's Lyon and, and, and Robertson are making 10s each, you know, like someone's got, is it just a case of that the attackers are going different? Because I was thinking, rather than playing the final pass, is 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 Curtis playing the pass to the pass? You know, because we, what I've noticed is, like Salah's making a lot of chances for players. It used to be Salah might have been the man getting on the end of chances. Yeah. You know, if, if does this new system facilitate this point where rather than being the man to feed the Nunes or feed the Salah or feed the Diaz, actually you're the man feeding them to feed somebody else? You get what I'm saying? Yeah. Well, this is this is one of the reasons why he is so important for me because I think earlier in the season, if you think of Chelsea in particular, I think that was a good example of that that game. Liverpool played with like a, an entire team of forwards. I think, off the top of my head, I might be wrong in saying this, to be honest. Did Jones play that game? No, he didn't. He was injured, wasn't he? Yeah. yeah, so I think Klopp played Gapo in yeah. Jones' role, didn't he? Yeah. Forwards everywhere and that. And I think we posted something like 35% possession. Yeah. And Klopp, in his next presser, said it was an absolute joke. Yeah, assuming. Yeah, he, he said it was not the intent. You know, it, it just kind of happened. And I think a lot of that stemmed from just so many attacking players on the pitch. If everyone is trying to create chances, mate, that's what happens. And it turns into basketball, you're losing the ball all the time, lots of turnovers, chaos. And when it's like that, for example, you can't really accommodate a Nunes because Nunes is going to make the game even more chaotic and you end up just, it's just like a war. It's like a war zone, mate, on the pitch. I suppose, like I say, going back to the Wijnaldum comparison, that was kind of one of the things we always said about Wijnaldum and it was always like, he, he's always getting picked for the stars, so he must be doing suit him, right? But he does, yeah. he offers you that control, the press resistance, actually good at the press as well, something that Curtis did. And obviously, there's another viz here, obviously, it's, it's comparing, it's last year, but it's players who retain possession in the Premier League. It's, it's comparing uh, basically everyone from last season, and Curtis, again, he features highly on this. That was something that I always felt with Wijnaldum, it was that you could give him the ball in any situation, and he'd, he'd do it in a different way than Curtis. Wijnaldum might have been a bit more physical about it. Mm. Curtis, you mentioned before, mate, is he too slow on the ball? Perhaps that's what this is coming back to, is that he never gives it away. Yeah. Like, he's all, you know, look at his passing accuracy, it's, it's, it's third on that list of midfielders last year, if you want to talk through that. But yeah. that, that's obviously what Jürgen wants in this play. There's got to be someone who, who is offering you that, that bit of control and that bit of calm. Yeah, you can't it. play a footy game at 90 miles an hour for 90 minutes. It's just going to be chaos. And we, yeah, you saw that Chelsea game was a little bit like this. Liverpool were hanging on. In that game, they were crying out for someone to just keep the ball, get your foot on the ball, give your defenders a break. And it looks like the Statue Curtis is the man if you, if, for that job, which Wijnaldum often was as well. Yeah, well, if you, if you think of like Firmino, for example, Firmino's left the club. And I think elements of Firmino offered in the final third. He wasn't much of an output merchant, really, but he offered kind of like a almost like a glue in, in the most pressurised area of the pitch. Yeah. He made the ball stick, allowed Liverpool to kind of build these attacks and sustain attacks crucially and, and probe kind of thing. And and that, that's what Jones is offering now, I think. And again, going back to that visit that you've just mentioned there, this is midfielders only, Premier League last season, and every player there attempted a minimum of 650 passes in the Premier League. So. Jones, as you can see... You're happy with those sample size numbers you went to? <laughs> you're good with them ones? No, this is much better, yeah. <laughs> I should have just used this business for a long to be honest. But uh, I think one of the interesting things about this is if you look at the names around Jones, yeah. there's a familiar theme there in that all of those players are deep-lying players, basically. Rodri's top, Basuma's second, Jones is there, then you've got Casado and Fabinho and Hoiberg and Endo Fernandez and Thomas Partey. Yeah, yeah. 
See what it's, I mean? They're yeah, like, they're, all, they're DMs. They're, they're yeah. lads who are playing at the base of a midfield, yeah. Yeah, they're all the lads who are focusing on being a six, being a whole midfield player, and they're basically just playing five-yard passes to the most creative lad on the pitch. That's very like interesting, because that. looking down, Lamina, yeah, Declan Rice, yeah, Lavia, we know about him, Samari, yeah, Kovacic, Skip. I mean, there's a few others outlined, Ndidi, Idrissa Gay. They are, it, it's a lot of DMs, yeah, it feels like... Old. For, for for an attacking player to be so high on that on that listing where Curtis is, that, yeah. is that hugely impressive? Am I, am I wrong it's, to say that? Because it, it's, it does stand out, doesn't it? Yeah, it, it is really unique. It, it it if you look at his, his data, you look at his numbers and that it's it's an area that really stands out in comparison to the typical player who will play that high up the pitch. Like if you think of them off the top of your head, you think of like De Bruyne, Bruno, um, James Madison you know all them players and, and they create so much but as a result of creating so much they lose the ball all the time and if you think of Liverpool Trent creates an absolute ton Salah Nunes Diaz Gakpo you know Sabosla you've got loads and loads and loads of them Jones really doesn't have to do it mate in the confines of this team if he can be kind of this almost like a like a balancer like a counterweight to the team he, he can just he can offer so much value doing that and that alone. That is Wijnaldum. You've just described Wijnaldum. Yeah. It, it's a different yeah, yeah. setup, but yeah. that was Genie's job. Yeah. Genie's job was to win the ball, keep the ball, pass it to the good lads, and let them sort the good stuff out. He, obviously, he probably had a bit more defensive responsibility than Jones perhaps has in this, but it, you can see why people, are, you know, when you mention like the, the Wijnaldum comparison, like you say, it's a different system, but his job within the team feels like very, very, very similar. Like in yeah. that. Um, and maybe that is the criticism. Genie got loads of it, and then all of a sudden he wasn't playing once, and you'd be like, "Oh my God, we really miss Genie Wijnaldum." Yeah, we've we've Curtis had a couple of injuries at the start of the season, and I remember he was fit for he's just straight back in the team. Mm. It does feel like that's the game, by the way, was our best of the best season. game. Yeah, and it does feel like Jurgen's gone. No, we need that. We we've got all this creativity. We've got all these lads, like you say, trying things. Bear in mind, we haven't actually got a proper number six. So yeah. if you keep giving the ball away all the time, exactly. this poor lad behind is going to be in trouble. It, 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 for me, it, it's a no-brainer. He, he's he's doing what he's meant to do. Yeah, this is the, we've had this. This is the Gini Wijnaldum conversation that yeah, we had de- five years ago. Definitely. If if you put, say, for example, if you put Bruno Fernandez there, he would probably create a lot more. He'd lose the ball a lot more, and it'd have a massive impact on the system. I don't yeah. think it'd be a positive impact. I think it'd be a negative one. I think it'd result in Liverpool losing a bit of control. Yeah. Um, and if you think of the nature of this system, and, and it's it's the kind of system that. It, we only form this shape when we've got possession secured. Um, we still defend with 4-3-3. So if you're forming a new shape when you've got possession, you need to hold possession first yeah. to form that shape so that yeah. strength can come inside and all that. And then if you can get the ball in the final third and things and everyone pushes up a little bit, Robertson's down here a little bit and things like that, that's then when you start probing because you've got the box in, in, in shape and things. And if you lose the ball now, then you've got this kind of central box to go and immediately press. Curtis Jones has been brilliant at that, by the way. His, his, his pressing's been off the scale. Yeah. And you regain the ball and you restart in the same in the same shape and you don't really get beaten very often on a transition, conceding counter-attacks all the time because you've got such a structure to go and immediately regain the ball if you lose it. So he, he's perfect for it. It's 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 similar to Wijnaldum in the sense of the dynamic that he's that he's offering on the pitch, the elements that he's adding to the team. But again, going back to the system, positionally and stuff like that, it's slightly different. So you could you could argue maybe it's an evolution. 
Yeah, no, absolutely, and, and that makes sense. Right then, thanks very much for Joshua coming in. Thanks for you guys for listening to the latest episode of the Red Men Weekly Podcast. Hope you've enjoyed it. Like I said before, if you do want to check out those shows in their entirety, and of course, the, they, they're out every single week. We always have final words after every game. We have JNO Insights every week, Experts Insights every week, The Deep Dive every week. There is so much content to keep you entertained, whether it's on your commute, at home, wherever you are in the world, you can get involved over on redmenplus.com. So yeah, you go and check those out. And we'll be back next week with another episode of the Red Men Weekly Podcast. I'll see you all then. Take care. Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1, only from Rust-Oleum.